Father, we're about to come to your word, and, and we want to hear you speak to us through that word. And so we ask now that you begin to prepare our hearts and our minds to hear you speak through your word. Father, remove any distractions from our hearts or minds, any anxieties or fears or anything that would hinder us from hearing you speak, Lord. And we ask you to speak clearly and powerfully this morning. Lord, may you open our ears to hear, our eyes to see, and our hearts to receive what you have to say to us this morning. And all God's people said, Amen. So we're at our last, last sermon through the book of Galatians. Who would have thought, huh? It's been a, a, a good series. I hope you guys have enjoyed it as much as I've enjoyed preaching it. I, I think the book of Galatians we could probably spend years and years and years upon studying, meditating on, and still never get to the bottom and the depth of it and, under, and how it really applies to our lives. So we've got the whole chapter, and uh, we'll go through all of Galatians chapter 6 this morning. Brothers, if someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourselves, or you also may be tempted. Carry each other's burdens, and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. If anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own load. Anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with his instructor. Do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. The one who sows to please his sinful nature, from that nature will reap destruction. The one who sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to make a good impression outwardly are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised obey the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your flesh. May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. Peace and mercy to all who follow this rule, even to the Israel of God. Finally, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The overwhelming focus of this book, as we've gone through six chapters of it, the overwhelming focus has been that we are saved by grace, through faith, not by any work of our own, right? Paul just keeps 
saying it over and over and over again, and he'll say it this way, and then he'll say it that way, and then he'll say something else, and then he'll come back to it, and he just kind of keeps saying it over and over and over again because we need to hear it over and over and over again. And he, he talks about it in so many different ways because he knows that this principle should work itself out in our daily lives. And everything we do, how we act, how we respond, should flow out of this understanding that we are saved by grace through faith and not by any work of our own. And then in the last chapter, in chapter 5, we talked about this struggle that was going on inside of us, right? Between our sinful nature and our new nature in Christ, that there's this war going on and our sinful nature is trying to pull us away from Christ and and our renewed nature is trying to push us to Christ and it's hard to follow Christ, right? It's difficult because there's this war going on trying to prevent us from doing what we want to do. And so it's difficult. And then when we have a whole bunch of people who gather together regularly who have this war going on and we mess up occasionally, guess what? Things get messy. And it becomes difficult for us to live in community because we have people who are sinning and sometimes sinning against us because they fall short in the midst of this. And Paul doesn't leave that topic yet. He just kind of keeps goes from chapter 5 into chapter 6 and he's talking about the same thing still. He says, "Brothers, If someone is caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore him gently. But watch yourself, or you may also be tempted. So as we live in this community together, and we've got this war going on inside of us, and and people make a mistake, he says, this is going to happen, it's going to be difficult. But what you need to do is you need to restore people gently. And there's this temptation, though, right? We talked about last week. There's this temptation when when somebody sins against us, or even if we see someone else fall into sin, our temptation is not to restore them, but it's to bite and devour them, to nip at them a little bit, to kind of throw more weight and burden upon them and kind of come after them and bite and devour. And Paul says, boy, if you keep biting and devouring one another, you're just going to destroy the church. He said, rather... Serve one another in love. And he gets down right into the nitty gritty here. And he says, if you're going to serve one another in love, you need to work towards restoring them. The key word here is restoration. That any time we go to correct or rebuke somebody, the goal has to be restoration. We don't just simply, you know, if somebody in the church is just annoying us, You don't just go and rebuke them because they're annoying you. Because guess what? You're not trying to restore them. You're just biting and devouring again, right? The goal is always restoration. If somebody does something that really makes you ticked and angry, we don't don't look at them and just, I'm going to give them a piece of my mind. No, because that's not going towards restoration. The goal is always bringing people toward restoration so that they're following Christ. And, and as we look through this, Paul uses an interesting phrase here that I, I just feel like I have to clarify. He says, if you see someone caught in a sin, you who are spiritual should restore them. And I think our gut reaction when we read that, we think he's saying, you who are better should restore them, right? Isn't that, you who are spiritually better need to restore those who are not spiritually better. Just, 
you're, you're doing really good and they're doing bad and you need to kind of come down to their level and bring them up to your level. And the reality is Paul's been hammering against that idea the entire book, saying you're saved by grace, through faith, not by any work of your own. There's no spiritual hierarchy here. There's not like the super Christians, the kind of Christians, the, the pretty bad Christians, and then the really bad Christians. And you super good Christians need to be making sure everybody else is in line and pulling. No, he says it's none of that. You're not saved by your own work. What he's saying is, now, now remember the last chapter. What did he talk about? This war going on inside of us between the flesh and the spirit. So someone who is spiritual is someone who's walking in step with the spirit. And he says if you're, if you're walking in step with the spirit and you notice somebody who's walking in step with the sinful nature, then go and restore them. And the reality is, is every one of us is going to go through seasons where we're on one side of that coin or the other. We're going to go through seasons where I'm walking in the spirit and things are going well, and then I'm going to go through seasons where I have given in and fallen into sin and I'm walking in step with the sinful nature. And he says, you who are walking in step with the spirit, then restore these people, bring them back and, and help them to walk in step with the spirit again. And we're all going to be in one side of that or another. Sometimes you're going to be the one who needs to be restored. And sometimes you're going to be the one who needs to do the the restoring. But either way, it's not about this hierarchy of better or worse. It's about seasons that are coming. And then he says how we should do that. He he says, okay, if you're going to go and and restore somebody, he says, make sure that you do it gently. And he says not only to do it gently, but he keeps on going and he says, carry each other's burdens. And in this way, you will fulfill the law of Christ, which is to serve one another in love. And so when you go to restore someone who's been in sin, you do it in such a way that's gentle and in a way that helps lift the burden off of their shoulders, not in a way that's harsh and places more burden on their shoulders. If you're doing that, then that's not helpful and that's wrong. It's not going to help. It's not going to work. It's not going to do anything but increase the situation and make it worse. But it's also important to catch this. Paul says if someone is caught in a sin, and and this word is, is really important because he doesn't just say if someone sins, if someone is caught in a sin. And I was listening to Alistair Begg this week, who's one of my favorite preachers, so you can He's got a good Scottish accent. Anyways, he was talking about this word, and he says the, the imagery that's being used is you're running a race, right? So you're, when you run a race in track, say you're running the 100-meter dash or you're running the 400-meter the dash, you each are given a lane. And, and, and imagine you're running in the lane, you're doing everything you can to run in the lane, and all of a sudden you, you stumble or fall and you fall out of your lane. That's what it means to be kind of caught In a sin, it's not that you're intentionally just swerving in and out of the lanes, running over people. No, you're you're trying to to head straight, run in your lane, and then you stumble and you fall and you fall out of your lane, your lane, or you you trip and you kind of fall out of it. It's it's an accidental thing. And Luther, Martin Luther, says that he says the words "is caught in" imply being tricked by the devil or by the sinful nature. So it's this idea that we have a person who's, who's running and following Christ, they're running to Christ, and yet the sinful nature grabs hold of them, grabs hold of their feet, they stumble, they fall, they make a mistake, 
And now you need to go and restore them, help them get back in their lane, pick them up, get them back in their lane and point them back on and help them run the race. But this is in distinction from someone who's running down the track and knocking everybody over, who's not really trying to run in their lane, right? There's, there's a difference between someone who is caught in a sin or who other translations will say who kind of fell into sin and someone who's just hard-heartedly, obstinately saying, I know this is sin and I don't care less about it. I'm just going to keep doing it. And uh, Luther says, and I think this is right, he says, those who are hard-hearted and obstinate, who fearlessly continue complacently in their sins, we must rebuke sharply. But those who are caught in a sin and are sorry for their fault must be raised up and admonished by those who are spiritual, but gently, not in the zeal of severe justice. And, and, and it's important to notice, like, just go home this afternoon and open up one of the Gospels and start reading through it and watching how Jesus responds to people. I don't remember, about 10 years ago, somebody told me to do that. And then write a little margin, a little note in the margin next to your Bible if Jesus responded gently or sharply. Okay? And you notice a pattern that happens as Jesus responds to people. He does both. So John 8, we have the woman caught in adultery. She's thrown at his feet. She's broken. She's been caught in a sin. She's fallen into sin. And he doesn't come at her and go, how dare you? You. No, he says... I don't condemn you. And then he puts her back. He restores her and he says, now go and sin no more. So he helps her up, encourages her gently, puts her back on the track and says, go. But to the Pharisees who come before him and say, you're doing the work of Satan. He goes, you're children of the devil. Who are you to talk to me? You're nothing but a pit of vipers, a full of dead man's book. And you go, whoa, Jesus. Right? Because hard hearts, he responds with, a little sharper rebuke. And, and yet, let me go back again and say, the sharp rebuke and the gentle admonishment still have one purpose, have to have one purpose, restoration. They're tools in our toolbox to help bring somebody towards restoration in Jesus Christ. And the hard part is we have to have a lot of wisdom in how we use this. Because if you use the wrong tool in the wrong situation... Um, it gets really messy. So if you're dealing with somebody who's hard-hearted and you're, just, you're always gently admonishing them, what happens? Their heart gets harder and harder and harder and harder and you're, there's no restoration, right? But if you come to someone who has fallen into sin and is broken and you take a sledgehammer and you start beating on their broken heart, guess what's not going to happen either? Restoration's not going to happen, right? And so we need to have wisdom in this. We need to keep seeking God and saying, Lord, help us to know what is going on here. But if someone has fallen into sin, we must restore them gently, carry their burden, point them back down the track and help them run the race. And then in talking about how we do this, he he gives us another thing we have to watch out for. We have to watch out for ourselves. He says, watch yourself, or you're going to be tempted as you go to restore this person. If anyone thinks he's something, when he's really nothing, he deceives himself. And there's a lot of talk about this verse. They say, well, what are we tempted? If you're going to correct someone who's in sin, what are you being? So a lot of people I've heard over the years have said, well, you have to be careful that you're not tempted to fall into the same sin as them. 
And yet, I don't think that's what Paul's talking about, especially because, you know, this next verse comes where he says, you know, if anyone thinks he is something, when he's really not, if you think you're a big deal, reality is you're not a big deal, you're deceiving yourself if you think you're a big deal, right? So he's talking about this easy temptation to pride when we go to correct somebody. When we go to restore someone, there's pride is always lurking right there, wanting to kind of grab a hold of us. And, and there's this temptation when we go to correct somebody to think, I can't believe anybody would ever sin in this way. I've never sinned in this way. I would never make this mistake. And you kind of puff your chest up a little bit and you feel pretty good about yourself. And then you go correct them. And Paul says, if you think you're something, when you're not, you're deceiving yourself. Like, this is, this is not, right? The reality is, if, if you think that you could never fall into this person's sin, you're deceiving yourself. Because most likely, if you were in that same situation, you probably would have fallen into the same sin. And if you think that I've never sinned this bad before, the reality is, you have sinned that bad before. You'll probably do it again. You'll probably do something worse. Paul says, you've got to check yourself before you ever go to correct anybody and realize that you have sin going on inside of you in the same way that this person has sin going on inside of them, and then humble yourself and then go before them and restore them. And that's what Jesus talks about, probably one of the best-known verses in the Bible. I mean, there's John 3.16, but I tell you the verse that I'm quoted the most by believers and non-believers, is actually the first three words of this one. Jesus says in the Beatitudes, Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way as you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the plank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, Let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. And I read this verse, and I think Jesus had a sense of humor, for one. Just, I mean, just picture somebody walking around with a log hanging out of their eye, trying to get a speck out of somebody else's eye, and they're just beating them up with it, right? They're just hitting, wait, help me. Right? He's, he's kind of mocking this, and he says, You've got to do something about this. But, but this is what I hear, I've heard over the years as I've gone to correct somebody, they come back, especially if they're kind of hard-hearted in their sin, they come back, Jesus said, and they say this very judgingly, do not judge, you judgmental, right? And I'm like, whoa, hold on a second, right? In my most recent example, I was with a group of family members, and I usually don't do this with family because it just causes problems, but they were talking about a guy that was a, a heretic and a false teacher. He's leading a lot of people astray, and I'm just like, this guy's stay away from him. And uh, one of them got really ticked, and they're like, don't judge. I'm like, hold on a second. What does Jesus say here? He says, you hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye, and then what? Then you can see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. He says, look at your own sin first. 
You've got this big honk and plank in your own eye. You have sin that you're dealing with. You have fallen. You have needed Christ to forgive you. He died on the cross to forgive your sins because they were that bad. And you're tempted every day to sin. And, and you have a temptation for the same sins as this person. Look at those. Get that out of your eye so that then you can help restore this person gently and humbly. Because if you come to try to restore them with this big log in your eye and out of pride and self-righteousness, all you're going to do is beat them over the head with a bat. But if you recognize your own sin and you get that log out of your eye and recognize you're just as fallen as this person, then you have an attitude that you can come before them and help restore them. And that pride is such a struggle. And I was thinking, like, we could, last week or a couple weeks ago, we were talking about that battle raging inside of us, and, and that we can hear that and we can think, man, it's really hard to follow Jesus, isn't it? Because we've got this struggle going inside of us. But then at the same time that you realize it's hard to follow Jesus, you all of a sudden start realizing, but I'm following him. Like, I'm going to church regularly. I'm giving some of my money to church. I'm being, doing nice things to people. And some of the sins that I, I used to struggle with, I don't struggle with anymore. And you start kind of going, boy, this is hard and I'm doing it. This is, I, I feel pretty good. Like, I'm a, I've, I've got this. I'm doing these things. And Paul says, let's not boast in ourselves or anywhere except for the cross of Jesus Christ. Because the reality is, I mean, the reality is if you, at, at any point that you start boasting about your own goodness and righteousness, you're sinning. And at any point that you start boasting about your own righteousness and your own goodness, Paul says you have forgotten the gospel. And to some degree, you think that you are earning your salvation. He says, don't, don't do that. Remember, Jesus told you, apart from me, you can do nothing. And so if the only reason you're able to do anything is because of Jesus... What do you have to boast about except Jesus? Right? I mean, if, if, if we find ourselves, if we find ourselves boasting about, like, man, I just, I've become so generous and I just give all my money away to church, that's great. But the only reason you have anything to give away is because Jesus gave it to you in the first place. And the only reason that you have any desire to give away your money is because Jesus changed your heart so that you would have a desire to give away your money in the first place. So what are you boasting about? Paul says, don't boast about yourself. Boast about Jesus Christ, because if you're doing these good things, it's because he has saved you, he's redeemed you, he's changed your heart, and he's given you the ability to do these things. Boast of him. He says this little line, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is a new creation. And he's saying this because he's got people walking around the Galatian church with their chests puffed out, kind of looking down their noses at everybody saying, I'm a real Christian because I'm circumcised. And then he's got another group of, it's kind of like, uh, yeah, never mind. Anyways, he's got another group of people in the church looking down their noses with their chests puffed out saying, well, I'm not circumcised, so I'm a better Christian than you. And he's like, goodness gracious, 
It doesn't mean anything. What matters is a new creation. And, and we don't really have these struggles in the church, but like I've mentioned over and over again, we all have something that we try to walk around with our chest puffed out a little bit, looking down our nose. I attend church every single Sunday. I give this much. I, I volunteer this much. We have better music in our church. We've got a bigger church. We've got better youth programs. We've got whatever it is. We kind of walk around puffing our chests out that we are better than all these other people. And Paul says, doesn't matter. Like, not that it's not important, like church and giving and all of those things are important, but he says, you wouldn't have any of that apart from Christ anyway. Your church isn't going to grow unless Jesus comes in and through the cross forgives people and changes hearts in those people. It has nothing, you know, if, if, if this church blows up and grows like crazy, and we have a temptation to boast about it, Paul's going to say, knock it off. It has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus. He's the one who's forgiving them. He's the one that's changing hearts. So if the church blows up, what should it do? You should say, praise God, Jesus is working. Right? If you, if you find yourself just loving to volunteer in youth programs or whatever, you it's not that your heart should kind of bubble up and go, man, I'm just a good person because I deal with kids. He says, don't boast in yourself. Boast in Christ. Say, Lord, thank you that you changed my heart, that I love to serve these kids. Thank you that you've given me gifts that I can teach these kids. Thank you that you're bringing kids and doing this work. Thank you for the cross. And, and that should be part of every single aspect of our lives. There's no boasting in ourselves at all. It's only boasting in the cross. Even when we find ourselves falling into sin, Paul says, look to the cross and boast there. You find yourself failing in this struggle. You find yourself going through a season where you're walking in step with a sinful nature. Paul says, you need to look to the cross and boast there too. Look to Jesus and say, thank you that you have died on the cross to forgive my sins. Thank you that you have freed me from my sins. Thank you that you have given me the spirit who's going to power, empower me and help me walk on this path towards life. Thank you that I don't have to try to earn this of my own good will, but I just look to you and trust you and have faith in you and you've done it all for me. Thank you. He says, boast in the cross when you fall into sin. But he says, look to the cross if you go to restore someone else who's in sin too. Before you restore them, he says, look at the cross and acknowledge that you are a sinner. You need to be saved. You need forgiveness. Christ has forgiven you. Christ is working in you to change your life as well. And Christ can do that same thing in this person's life. He can forgive them. He can restore them. He can put them back on the right track and do that. And then in humility, we can come up to them and say, look to Christ. He can forgive you. He can empower you. He can lead you closer to him. And every single thing we do, there's no boasting in ourselves, but only boasting in the cross of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we, we recognize that we have this tendency to inflate our own importance. We have a tendency to take credit for the work that you do in our lives. We just simply ask you to forgive us. Lord, stir in our hearts and our minds so that we 
give credit where credit is due, that we bring praise and glory and honor to you in every aspect of our lives. Lord, may we continue to boast in the cross in everything we do. And all God's people said, Amen.